Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. What's up, guys? Welcome to I Do Podcast, where we interview the world's leading relationship, dating, marriage, and self-help experts. 
Whether you're single, dating, married, or struggling in a relationship, you're in the right place. We're here to help give you the tools to succeed. On today's show, we have Mike Dimitris, and Mike is the founder of the Date Safe Project, and for over two decades, he has spoken and educated everyone from college students to the military to families and individuals about sexuality and how to have conversations about sexuality and get consent in sexuality and in your relationships in an appropriate way and really trying to change our whole look on the subject. And his latest book is titled, Can I Kiss You? And it was kind of a funny story because those are the exact words I said to Sarah nine years ago when we met, the night we met. Can you guess what my answer was? She she said (laughs) no. No, she said yes. And uh, and we tell that story uh, with Mike, so you'll have to listen to the episode to get the full story. But it goes along a lot of the lines that, that Mike talks about is it's not about being overly politically correct and asking everything that you need to do in, in a uh, relationship, but it's about changing the dialogue around sexuality and going forward in a way that is respectful to both men and women. And it's really powerful stuff that Mike is doing. So ton of valuable knowledge in there, whether you're single or in a relationship, it's really good. And we talk about things, not just basic consent, like if you're dating and things like that, but if you've been married in talking intimately with your partner about what you want sexually and how that can take your relationship to another level. We hope you guys are enjoying the songs that we play at the end of each episode. The band is called The Hip Abduction. They're from our hometown, St. Petersburg, Florida, and they really have an awesome sound. So we love giving that music to you each time. Today's song is going to be Driving for the Sun, and it's from their first album, One Less Sound. So we hope you guys enjoy it. And also, we appreciate you guys so much for listening and for subscribing and for sending us reviews. If you'd like to help support us in other ways, you can check out today's show notes page or the podcast description for a few links. Uh, One of those links is Amazon.com. When you click on that link, we get a small percentage of your purchases uh, from Amazon. AudibleTrial.com forward slash I do podcast. Through that link, you get a free 30-day trial as well as a free audiobook and there are tons of resources on our website that you can find on audibletrial.com forward slash I do podcast and lastly patreon.com forward slash I do podcast you can contribute as little as two dollars a month to us and every little bit counts again we appreciate you guys so much and we hope you enjoy the episode Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. We've given our listeners just a little overview about your work. So why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, it started from a pretty dark place, actually. I was a college student when I received a phone call that my sister had been raped. And I went into shock. I was angry. I was confused. I was 
I was frustrated. I, I didn't know where to turn. And after the trial and everything occurred, I still didn't feel like I had any resolution with, you know, how to move forward with what had been done to my sister. And I heard a speaker speak about consent. And I thought, oh my gosh, why aren't we all taught this? And what he said was, hey, do you just go for it or do you ask? And at that point, I'm like, well, I started asking my friends, does anybody ask? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, no wonder why we have this culture where sexual assault happens. People have an attitude of I can just do this and it's your job to stop me. And that's where it all began. I started speaking out as a college student and that was 20 some years ago. I think we're at now 27 years ago now when I first started speaking out. And what happened was I went from being an angry brother to a really passionate engaged activist educator who wanted to spread the word so we made it fun we made it interactive and when that paradigm shift happened that's when people were like hey tell us more can you teach us how i can do this to my relationship how can i do this with my partner because it is sexy it is passionate it is romantic and you started and run the date safe project correct that's correct. So we started formally the organization in 2003, and it's just grown from there because we wanted to be more than just me speaking, which is what I do now. I speak all over the world for the military, for schools, for organizations and communities, but we want to do more. So we started created educational materials, instructor's guides, posters, so that people could turn and have all the information they need in one resource, one organization, and that's what we really started this work doing. So this is definitely an interesting and very important topic, and it is particularly interesting, the title of your new book, because it has a very specific uh, kind of relationship to Sarah and I. Uh, when we met, it was on New Year's, what, eight eight years ago? Nine. Nine Not, years ago. Nine years ago. And... We met maybe like an hour before midnight and, and we were chatting and getting to know each other and kind of hitting it off. And and then midnight comes and the classic thing that happens at midnight is you embrace the ones you love. And if you're with someone of the opposite sex and, and you're together, a lot of times you're kissing. And, and Sarah and I, we had just met, but we were, we were really kind of, like I said, hitting it off. And I asked her, so Midnight Strikes, and then I asked her exactly the title of your book, Can I Kiss You? <laughs> and and so I just thought that was interesting when I, when I saw that. And it goes along the lines of everything you're talking about. And now, I, I'm not, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal here, but I, 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 I think I do respect, well, I know I do respect uh, women and certainly Sarah. And at the time, kind of going through my head was like, all right, I just met this girl. We, we're definitely, there's a connection here, but we, we really had known each other for maybe a little over an hour. And, and I'm like, all right. And then you have on top of that, like the cliche, everyone's going to kiss at midnight, you know, and, and I wanted to kiss her, but, but I asked her and that's just kind of what happened. And I think her response was, well, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what that proves? Asking doesn't ruin the moment. That's one of the biggest myths that's out there that is so messed up. Look, if you ask and it ruined the moment, you never had one to start with. Don't blame the asking. <laughs> 
Right. Because the fact is, if that person wants to kiss you and they, you look them in the eyes, you say, can I kiss you right now? May I kiss you? They're going to be like, yes, if they're a mature adult who knows what they want and they want that at that moment. And it's going to be awesome. Now, if somebody's like, well, it would turn me off if they ask. Well, that you're showing a sign of immaturity. You're saying you can't talk about what you want to do with another person or they shouldn't be able to talk to you about it. That's not the person's fault for giving you respect. That's you for – and I don't want to even say you. That's society's fault for not teaching you you deserve to have a choice. And so I love the story you share there because, I mean, it's great, right, Chase, that you were thinking, hey, I'm, I'm going to ask, right? I don't want to screw this up. And asking does that. Asking allows that special moment to occur the right way. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I wanted to do it for the reasons I explained and – I was kind of nervous and, and I didn't want, I just wanted her, Sarah to feel comfortable too. And I think it doesn't take away uh, from the, from the moment. And we, we kind of laugh about it still today, you know, being married and, and together for almost a decade, but it is, uh, I think it is an important thing. And what do you find is maybe the, the biggest obstacle to, establishing this kind of dialogue and, and, and getting that into our culture, into our society? Well, the biggest obstacle, without a doubt, is this concept that you can read body language and know what your partner wants. That is a disaster. And anybody who's been in a long-term relationship knows. I can walk in front of an audience of 2,000 adults, ages 18 to 70, and say, how many have you been married? And, and let's say that half the room is married. They're like, yes, I've been married. How many agree that the more you've been married to someone, the more you know, you better not guess what they're thinking because that's likely to lead to an argument for you to assume what they are thinking, what they want. But forget sex and intimacy. And the married people are like, that's for sure. You know, there's no doubt that the more you're married, the, the more you realize I don't know what's in your head because we are different people and I don't want to assume that leads to trouble. And they get that. And then you talk about sex and intimacy and they forget that, <laughs> which is so weird because it's such a personal thing that – Yes, I could have wanted you two hours ago, but now I don't. I could have wanted that five seconds ago, but I don't want you to do that anymore. It can change by the split second, which is even more reason for us to be able to talk with each other, communicate with each other. But the barrier that you asked about there, Chase, is that barrier that I should be able to read your mind. No, that's why we actually have mouths so that, and ears so that we can talk and listen and learn about each other, find out because every night's different, right? Thursday might be in the mood. Friday, you're not in the mood, or you are, but for something different. How are we going to know that without talking? It's so true. And if we could read each other's minds, we wouldn't need to do this podcast. Everyone would just get along great because we would know exactly what was going on in each other's heads. And it it's, uh, it really comes down to communication, like so many things we talk about. And, and what you're trying to put out there is that what is accepted is that, oh, we can non-verbally communicate in this way and in non-verbal communication is important but in this realm it, we need to get that verbal consent that verbal affirmation and you talk about in your book that this doesn't only apply to to single people or people that are dating it's also couples and married couples absolutely well think of it this way sarah when chase asked you what were you thinking the moment you heard him say Hey, can I kiss you? What was your thought? Do you remember? I think I was kind of relieved that we were on the same, you know, because I wanted to kiss him too, but I wasn't going to make that first move. So I was kind of like almost a, a relief of 
that we were feeling the same thing. And then the fact that he did ask because, you know, I just met him a little over an hour ago. So I think there was a couple different feelings. <laughs> so him asking made it that much more special. Like, oh, he's yes. asking. Yeah. Right. And that's why that's why I asked, because everybody you talk to who's been asked says, you know, it didn't ruin the moment. It actually cranked it up a little bit. Like you're like, oh, cool. They're asking me. This is so cool. It's empowering. And it feels so good to be given that choice. And how about this? For, for him to ask and you to say yes, that means he knew you wanted to be kissed. Because Chase, if you had just gone in for the kiss, she might have kissed you out of pity. <laughs> right you but you would have never known and so by her saying yes you were able to feel that oh she wants oh my gosh this feels so much better kissing someone when they say yes right it feels empowering for both of you i love you said affirmation because too often people think of consent as i need to get your permission it's not about permission it's about do we both mutually want this right here right now i can get your permission to do things you don't necessarily want to do that's not healthy intimacy. I want this to be mutually wanted, enthusiastically given between partners of, of legal age, of sound mind, of all relationship statuses, right? And I know in your case, um, you know, you've, you just mentioned they're the heterosexual example, but this is true for all gender, uh, the, all identities, all sexual orientations, to be able to have that voice, to have that choice. It's so empowering. It makes the sexual experience so, so much more passionate and fun because you can be truly yourselves. Yeah, and you mentioned in the book that if you can't talk about this or kissing or sex and talk about it with your partner, then you shouldn't be doing it. And Because if you're not mature enough to, to verbally have that conversation, then you shouldn't just be going through it physically. Yeah, I talk to people about this all the time. Look, you can be age-wise mature as far as you're, you're by age, you're an adult. That doesn't mean you're sexually mature. And a lot of us need to look in the mirror and go, am I sexually mature? Honestly, am I? Can I talk about what I like, what I don't like? Can I ask my partner how they want to be touched, how they want to be liked, how they want that to experience that sexual act that we're going to engage in? If we can't have those conversations, I'm either not sexually mature or I'm not comfortable with this person. I'm sexually mature, but not comfortable with those conversations with this person. But these are all caution flags, red flags, potentially. Yeah, you better be able to talk or something is missing there. Having those conversations w with your partner is going to raise the level of intimacy and make everything that much better f from sexually to emotionally. You're going to trust your partner more. You're going to know more about them. And it's just a really valuable exercise to talk through and communicate about. Yeah, and the mutual part is what makes it so much fun. And what I mean by that is in our culture, you you both gave an example there. In your example on New Year's Eve, Chase, Sarah, you said something really important. You said, well, I wasn't going to be the one to make that move because our culture's taught that. And when you when our culture learns actually how to ask and that you deserve to be able to ask or to be asked, you both gain the power of that moment. That means you would have been raised if our culture did it right to where, Sarah, you might have been thinking of that moment. You know what? I'm going to ask him right now. I want to kiss this guy. I'm going to ask him. But our culture had taught you not to do that. And it was taking away your power at that moment. And so what we do is when you teach it mutual, now both partners can ask for what they want. They can ask your other partner, what would you love right now? And when that happens, now there's a mutual feeling of value. Let me give you an example. Often in our culture, one partner pursues more than the other, drastically more sometimes, and often by gender sometimes. And so what happens is the partner who is the more passive one, uh, they're getting the, they're being pursued, but the one who is the more assertive one 
feels like the passive one doesn't want them as much as they they want the passive one. And they feel like, well, I'm always the one pursuing it. I'm always the one going after it. They must not be attracted to me, which is not the case necessarily at all. It might be that your partner has been taught not to own their sexuality. That somewhere along the line, somebody taught them that or they gradually learned that from culture, which is messed up. We want both of you to look at each other in the eye and say, are you in the mood right now? What would you love to do right now? What would you love for me right now? And be able to have a fun conversation that way. Or you know what I would love right now? Being able to have those conversations. It's amazing how much culture influences us in all aspects of our life and especially in relationships, in sexuality. And like everything you're saying is just really hitting home. Like the fact that Sarah because she was raised in in the US western society it says that the women are not the ones to initiate that's the guy's job and and that's just kind of a classic example but probably one of the more prominent ones but it it's so true and then it's important to be aware of that and to i think question those norms and and understand that it's it's okay if if you're uh, to our female listeners that if you ask, hey, can I kiss you now? Um, and then in the realm of sexuality in general, we we talk about it's more recently the the term sexual positivity and, and sexual negativity. And, and it feels like our society is very sex negative, that everything about sex is it's this negative thing and we don't really talk about it, even though in commercials and media, a lot of stuff is sexualized. But when you're, when we're raised in this society, it's not so much that we are taught how to communicate about it. So could you just talk a little bit about that in in the sex negativity in our culture? Oh, it's everywhere. And you brought up a good point. So you see advertising sexual, advertising is sexualized frequently. We all know that. And when people say, well, yeah, that's that's used to sell, but that's not okay to act that way in real life. Well, that's a very messed up message. So we're going to surround you with messaging of very sexual beings and then say you can't be a sexual being. It doesn't make sense. Absolutely, to be a sexual being can be natural, wonderful, and healthy. It's a matter of how are you engaging in your sexual life? Are you owning it or do you always feel like other people own it? Uh, and so we want you to be able to own it, whether you're in a relationship for 10 years, whether you're dating, whether you're single, own it and own your voice, own your options. Know you deserve that when sex occurs or sexual intimacy occurs, you deserve for it to be amazing. I mean, incredible. Not that you should have to put up with whatever you're dealing with at that time, because that's just the way the world is. And, you know, it's just rare that, that you find somebody that you really connect with. So I'm just going to have okay sexual encounters because better than none. How about we slow down and find out how to have mutually amazing ones whenever we choose to be sexually active. And at least that be the goal that it be mutually amazing. But to do that, you have to be willing to say, it's okay for me to be a sexual being that, that it's natural, that it's healthy It's critically important because if you don't believe that, you might believe in taglines and labels like slut and whore and these horrible words that are only used to degrade women who are sexual beings, which is natural. And if a man is the same way, men are complimented. They're even – words describing them are positive 
and it almost encourages the behavior. And so you have a double standard that puts women in an awful situation, teaches men a horrible lesson of degrading women. Oh, by the way, teaches all genders to degrade women that way because the message is consistent, unfortunately. So if two women are together, they're still learning that women's sexuality is bad. Two men are together, they're still learning these same concepts. So we need to remove those and say, if I did not have to live by anybody else's labels or gender stereotypes or roles, who could I be? What could that look like sexually? And write it down to yourself. What would that be like? What would you ask for in your partner if you didn't fear their response? It's a very powerful question. What would you ask for intimately sexually if you didn't fear their judgment, their response, or their answer? And really think about why, why – and if I do fear that, why am I not talking to them about the fact I fear their judgment so that that can be removed? And we can really be open and vulnerable with each other. You brought up, you know, that uh, you were saying just a moment ago, Chase, about the fact that, you know, a man asking it's more his role is what our society has taught. And when you talk to audiences and say, if your partner is a woman and she comes home and you're in the mood and she comes up to you, looks you right in the eyes and says, I just want to do and fill in the blank, whatever you love sexually, I just want to do right now for you. May I do that for you right now? Audience is like, oh my gosh, that would rock my world. But nobody has that conversation. So they're not experiencing that kind of fun, assertive, playful, mutually wanted conversation that leads to sexual intimacy or is part of the sexual intimacy. How can women make it, make it feel like it's more of their role to do those types of things without feeling uncomfortable about talking about it or about doing it in general? Well, I think one really important thing to ask anybody, whether woman or man, is why am I afraid of taking taking this on? This part of me that is truly part of me, it's natural, it's healthy. And man, when it feels good, it feels amazing. Why do I why am I not owning that? What's what is the fear? And usually there's a fear there. And it can be judgment, it can be labels, it can be society, it could be faith and religion can play into that answer for people and say, Well, wait a second. Uh, this is a gift. My sexuality, my intimacy is a gift given to me. Why don't I treat it like a gift? Which means I'm not going to shame it. I'm going to be proud of it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to make sure it's treated like a gift and it's going to be wonderful. And that's what's really important. Understanding for anybody listening right now going, well, how do I overcome these barriers? Know you deserve to experience mutually amazing intimacy if that's what you want in your life with the right person at the right time. That that's something that... It, it's not something that uh, is owed to certain people, but not you, because people do that. Well, you know, that's the dream world. That's Hollywood and the movies. And ironically, Hollywood and the movies shows very unhealthy relationships. That's what it shows. You deserve a real one where people talk about what they want, what they don't want, how liberating that would be. So if somebody's out there going, Mike, geez, I don't know if I could talk this way. I feel like I was a slut. Stop and go. So no woman's allowed to have a sexual voice, ask yourself that. And you'll realize how silly it sounds. Well, of course a woman does. Or if you were a parent, would you want your adult child, all right, and we'll say not even child, your adult daughter to think she never has the right to own her sexual voice? And most parents right away go, well, of course I want my daughter to own her sexual voice. Then let's start with our generation so that she can be role modeled that, that you can live that life you want for your daughter. If you want your daughter to have that voice, you deserve it because you know it's right. That's why you want your daughter to have it. 
That's all great information, and I I really love that question. It's so powerful, and I would encourage our listeners to to run through the exercise of what would you ask for if you had no fear of judgment or society or whatever, and and it could be such a liberating thing. And this is obviously a like any cultural issue. It's it's very complex, and it it can't be boiled down to a single podcast, but could you maybe explain a little bit why you think our society has been given this such a negative sex uh, sex image in, in everything we're talking about? Well, it's interesting because sex has been viewed through the history of humankind differently depending on the century and the era that it was in. There was times a long time ago where sex was very open. And then and then what happened was either culture, political rulers, or and faith, religion rulers came in and said, we're going to change how this works. That's not okay anymore. And all these influences that said, no, that's not okay. And we even saw it in our own country here in the past six decades. It's very up and down, right? So in the 50s, uh, you didn't really have these open conversations. And the 60s and the 70s came along, and people loved to use the term free love, which meant much more than just that. But people used terms like free love. And then pornography started coming to theaters. Well, what happened? Society said, nope, nope. And, and by the way, we're not saying pornography is the healthy version of sexuality. But what you saw was society freak out and go, wait, we suddenly have porn magazines that are now uh, in general society as acceptable. Pornography is now in theaters. And people came down and said, no, no. This is bad for our culture to talk about sex. And that was the mistake. Instead of saying, okay, where's unhealthy? What's happening that's unhealthy here? And is, can the porn industry be a negative influence on sexuality? Absolutely. But what they did is they slammed all door on sexual conversation instead of dealing with the negative that was actually being done. And so you suddenly saw abstinence only come everywhere, and it's still prevalent today around the country. Instead of teaching openly, and we talk to schools that are sex, uh, that are comprehensive sex ed programs, and have abstinence only, because either way, you deserve to learn how to talk about your boundaries, what you want, what you don't want. So we get we get hired by both. But what happened was our culture as a whole said no more talking about it, and that's the era that kicked in a, a couple decades ago, and now we're starting to realize all the damage that's come out of that. And that people go, well, how can this generation view sexually, you know, sex so openly and so this and so that? Well, think about it. What did you repress for the last two decades in our society? We weren't, they weren't allowed to learn really open, true understanding of sexual education. They were taught what not to do and what not to get, but never what to do in a healthy, mutual, wonderful way. So what happens? People experiment and try to figure out on their own instead of getting the right skill sets that we could have given them as a society and as a culture. And that's where we are today. And we're trying to play catch up now. It's interesting how we bounce up and down and on this spectrum where you know, we get very conservative and then it's it's free love and then it goes back again. And where would you say we are now on the spectrum? What do you th- see things going? It's interesting because currently we see the younger generation saying we need to be more open about this and we are more comfortable with being open about this conversation. And because they're pushing that out, uh, you're seeing pushback starting to occur again. Now, what level of pushback will be interesting? Uh, it's always hard to tell. But what I love is that the upcoming generation, they actually want to have these conversations. They're willing to admit, yes, I want these skill sets. You know, people say to me all the time, you go into middle school, you go into high school, they must not like what you're saying. It's the opposite. 
I don't, and we get of all walks of life, of all demographics, we'll be up to us like, man, I wish I had learned this before. This makes it so much easier. Look, we want to do the right thing, Mike. Nobody's telling us how. They just say do the right thing. Well, that leaves with no skills. They want to do the right thing. We've got to give them skills. So whether you're 14 or 34, you need skills. We've got to teach people the skill sets. It's interesting that you say that this generation is wanting to be more open about it. Um, only because I hear and we talk about how this generation or millennials are like their communication skill set has gone down so much because of social media and how media is now. So it's interesting that it may not go that way or it is improving, hopefully, um, at least within specific um, dialogues. Well, you bring up a great point, Sarah, which is that this generation supposedly doesn't communicate as well as past generations, which is even more reason for them to need the skill set, right? <laughs> right? So okay. ironically, right, it makes sense, right? They're sitting there and they're in a generation where you talk through texting, you talk through messaging and not face-to-face. -face. And when I am with someone face-to-face, -face, I don't have the skill set. And now you add in sexual intimacy and things can get a lot more confusing, much more dangerous, risky, and I still don't have the skill set. So that's why they're looking for the skill set. They, they recognize, man, I wish I had it. Now, would they admit that to you one-on-one? -on -one? Probably not because that would be saying, I don't know something I need to know. And most human beings of all ages don't want to admit that. But when you're in a mass group setting and you say, would you like this to be easier? Yes. And they come up afterwards and they're like, I don't know why we didn't learn this sooner. Why did they wait this long to tell? Why until we were 18 did they teach this? It was legal to engage in the sexual activity when we were 16, depending on the state I'm in. Why did they wait till we were 18? This is messed up that it, we did this wrong for two years. And then I meet college students who are like, man, we've been doing this wrong from day one. Why didn't we learn this sooner? And then I meet people in the military, 50 years old, going, Mike, why didn't I learn this 30 years ago? And they're all valid questions. It's great that you are giving people those tools because that's what we need to do. And having you on this podcast, your new book, it's important because it it's going to take a lot to make things change, but we got to start somewhere. And along those same lines that you mentioned earlier, about socializing or raising a, a daughter to be to own their sexuality. We have a 17 month old girl. And I think about that now as a dad is how can I talk to her as she's growing up in a way that will empower her? So are there any specific tools and tips? And it doesn't have to just be for for a daughter, but uh, maybe for both. Yeah, great question. And that is, how do you teach sexuality? Do you teach it as a negative or as a gift and a positive? And by the answer to that question, it will probably determine how you parent that issue going forward. And what tends to happen is most parents teach negative for one reason, because they are afraid. And so when they get into fear mode, they get into overprotective mode and they forget about teaching respect and love. They get so much into, I'm going to protect my child, that they forget the lessons they're teaching in doing that. So what happens is you're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. You're not going to have sex until you're out of this house. And they forget about, wait, was that loving? Was that really teaching them how to make good choices when I'm not around? Was that teaching them about what healthy sex looks like? No, 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 and no. And so what it is is it's being honest and saying that sex can be this wonderful, amazing gift if everything lines up right. And for everything to line up right takes work. 
And it takes two mature people. You may be mature, but your partner's not ready. Maybe your partner's ready, but you're not ready. And that's okay. Don't feel bad about that. Wait till you're ready. Because it does take everything lining up for it to truly be amazing and wonderful. And you deserve that when the time is right. And teaching from that sex positive viewpoint. Your body is your body. Teach your daughter at a young age all her body parts. Instead of saying that's your special place or that's the place nobody touches. Teach that if, wait, if I say finger, why don't I say vulva? If I say shoulder, why don't I say penis? They're all part of the biological being that they can touch, they can see, they can feel. Why don't we be open and honest? And now you can talk about what's appropriate with touch, absolutely, but don't run from it and then make it sound like something you're not allowed to talk about because all you do is create more mystery and then they go to other sources. Since the parent isn't a good source, I'll find it somewhere else. And it's usually an awful source, peers, the internet, where you don't want them getting their information. That's great advice, and it's it's not easy. Like anything with parenting or relationships, it it's definitely hard to navigate. But those are just having that sex positive framework is, can be so valuable. Just going in with that mindset. And I read something, and this is I don't want to say extreme, but it's just different. And and will maybe let our listeners realize how. Uh, different other cultures can be. I think it's the Netherlands, a somewhere uh, very developed country that when a kid uh, is of age, I think 16 or 18, and they're in a relationship, oftentimes the parents will, in, you know, they're in a serious relationship and the kids express that they want to have sex, the parents will invite the kid over to spend the night at the house, you know, and, and it's not a thing where the kid's trying to sneak out of the house and and do it undercover and and it's very open and and they they provide protection and all that and and they have much lower incidences of teenage pregnancy and I think a few other things and it's just because it's so much more positive around sexuality and I know some people are hearing that going, well, that is too extreme for me. All right, so let's say that maybe that is too extreme for you, but ask yourself why. What setting would you find it okay for your teenager who's of legal age to make that choice? What setting do you want them to experience it in? Have you talked to them about that? Look, it's probably not going to be amazing and spectacular your first time if you're in the back of a party and somebody's trying to get something they want because your partner's been drinking. Uh, let's talk about that alcohol makes it – could take away the ability to consent or maybe it's the back of a car where it could be really uncomfortable – have you thought about where you want to have that kind of an experience and be able to talk to your child about what's going to be a positive experience, what's more likely to be uncomfortable? Because this is a big choice. And you tell them that it's going to be your choice and it's going to be a major choice. Each time you have sex, it's a big choice. It's a relationship with a human being, whether it's a one-time deal or a long-term relationship. They are forms of relationships and they have risk involved with them. And so you have to decide, okay, maybe that version overseas isn't what I would do, but what are you gonna teach your child is the right setting for them? How are you gonna teach them how to recognize what's good and what's not okay and have those conversations? Well, it's all great advice, Mike, and we really appreciate it. And now we gotta move forward to the lasting love round. Awesome. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? is the one thing that we always like to share is asking your partner every day, hey, one, how did your day go? Simple concept, right? But really listening to the conversation 
and then asking, all right, is there anything I can do to make your day a little extra special today? Both of you. You both ask that. Now, every day we're engaged in each other's lives versus, oh, how'd work go? And we're not even listening. I need to listen so I can follow through on how I can make today extra special for you, a little extra special, right? And that way we're always engaging, engaging with each other on a one-on-one level. We're learning from each other because they might say, you know what, today um, there's nothing you can do. I'm just having a rough day. I need time to myself. Well, then I'm going to give you that time to yourself. And that's something I can do, right? So it's still a positive. But how we can be present for each other every day. If you're doing that outside the bedroom, outside of sexual intimacy, it certainly makes it comfortable to listen to each other, respect each other in sexual intimacy. Because one thing we don't want is guilt. We don't want people having sex out of guilt, like, oh, I owe this to my partner. Or they're going to be disappointed. Nope. I want my partner to be able to say no or yes without guilt. I love that. Is there a book or resource you could recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationships? Well, of course, we'd love for them to check out our book, Can I Kiss You?, which launched this past August. We're thrilled. It went number one in a few categories on Amazon. It's all how-to, super easy to find on Amazon because it is just that. Can I Kiss You? is the title. Or you can always go to our website at datesafeproject.org. Great. Well, we'll uh, be sure to add um, Can I Kiss You? on our website, on your show notes page, so our listeners know to go there to check it out. Well, wonderful. Thank you. We've been married for two years now. Is there any advice you would give newlyweds? Oh, that's a great question. So for us, it's uh, we are going on 23 years here in a couple months. So uh, I always this is always a fun conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. It's always a conversation that's fun to reflect on. Uh, the one advice I give when college students ask me this question is we often want to think how we can help improve our partner. And I always say, stop and ask, what could I do to stop me asking that question? How could I change how I'm acting or responding to those moments that would change my perspective from I wish they would change to I can change so that this moment is different instead of expecting my partner to change. If you're going to marry someone or you're going to be in a long-term relationship, they are who they are. If you're trying to change them and who they are is not good enough, then it's not meant to be long-term. It's not your job to change them. It's not their job to change you. Love them for who they are. Look in the mirror to fix. That is so powerful. Oftentimes, we look at changing the other person, not even in newlyweds, but it's a valuable thing for anyone in a relationship when the reality is we have to look within. Yes, and know that your answer might be this isn't the right place. That's okay, by the way, to recognize that's important. Like, don't change you if you doesn't. You don't need to be changed. In other words, you could be in a situation where your partner is doing something wrong, disrespectful, degrading, unhealthy to the relationship. It has nothing to do with what you're doing. So then the, the look in the mirror is, it's not that I need to change. It's that I need to change the relationship I'm in and mean get out. Yeah, <laughs> And that's the change that needs to take place. And that's the healthy thing to do. So sometimes it's not about even changing you as a person. It's changing the environment you're in and saying, I'm out of here. That's a great point. Well, what advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? Here's the, the question that you can ask people all the time who are single. Who do you want to date on a scale of one to 10? And most people say, I want to date a 10. Awesome. Are you a 10? And when you ask that, people get defensive. Well, I, am, I mean, I'm not a 10. I'm not perfect. But you said you want to date a 10. Here's the danger. If you think you're a 7, a 6, a 5, even a 9, 
If you think the person you're dating is a 10, the 10 owns the relationship because you think they're better than you. And you're going to try to do everything to keep them happy. And in actuality is you're both 10s. Why? Because you're a human being. It's a gift to this world. And that 10 just simply means you're going to be the best person you can be every day. So one, are you working on you? Instead of trying to figure out where the catch is out there, are you working on you and making you the best person you can be? Because you do that, people are going to be attracted to you. But when you work from a place of desperation that I have to seek and find that person out there, well, now it feels like desperation. This person is on the hunt versus this person's living a life and I like the life they're living. That attracts me to them. Now they're the magnet versus I'm on the hunt. Huge difference. Be you, work on you, love you, and yes, be open to experiencing and meeting and getting to explore with other people. Don't just expect it to just happen. Yeah, you got to put some effort in. But work on you being you. Don't change to get the right person. I should say this. Don't change by lowering standards. If you're changing, improving, awesome. I love that. Be you, love you. I think that should be the the title of this podcast. I love that. <laughs> well, Mike, we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice we've given you've given our listeners today. So let's wrap up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Well, one, thank you both of you, Sarah and Chase, for having me on. The easiest way to find me is online, and that is at datesafeproject.org. Think of it, I want to go on a date. I want to feel like it's safe, and I don't want to feel like it's a project. Datesafeproject.org. They can also call us toll-free at 800-329-9390. Well, our listeners Hi, can find Sarah all here. the information and links to today's episode like on idopodcast.com. Do go so to the podcast tab, Patreon, and you'll be in Amazon, the archives. Or audible.com. Again, thank you so much all for taking the time are to come on, on the show today. The bottom of our show well, thank you, Sarah and Chase. on idopodcast.com and in the description for this episode. Also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate it so much. Thanks.
Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.